Well, we're starting a new series entitled Heroes, and so I want to welcome everybody worshiping with us via video at Cloverdale Pike Road with Tumke elsewhere on the web. I'm John Schmidt, senior pastor here. I'm back from a sabbatical, and I am really grateful uh, that I had a chance to go and do that. My wife and I both are. We had a chance to recharge and refocus, and it was amazing. So, But I'm glad to come back to this series. This is a series on heroes in the Bible. Some of them you will have heard of, some of them maybe not. And we're going to start off with a guy named Caleb. Some of you are very familiar with this story, and some of you may never have heard of him at all. But what's interesting is, is Caleb was known as a hero because he just remained faithful. And so the title of our message here today is, He's the Faithful Hero. And um, when we do a series like Heroes, there's a question that comes to mind all the time. is, well, that's great that we study Bible heroes, but I'm no hero. I couldn't be a hero. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, It's interesting. I've met different people at different times who were regarded heroes in different aspects. One of the uh, people that I've known in my life who was regarded as a hero, a gentleman by the name of Bill Lolly. Um, Bill and his wife Amy lived on a cul-de-sac, uh, the same cul-de-sac my wife and I did for a number of years. And um, he was a Medal of Honor recipient for heroic actions that, uh, and deeds that he accomplished during World War II. He was a B-17 pilot uh, flying a bombing run and... Uh, He encountered, uh, along with some other bombers, they encountered 20 fighters, and his plane was attacked. His co-pilot was killed. Many of his crew were injured. The plane was so damaged they couldn't drop the bombs, and they couldn't bail out. And he had to fly the plane back, even though he was injured himself and losing blood and other things. And he flew it back and crash-landed it on a runway and saved the life of his crew. Um, People, He had every reason in the world to try to bail out himself, Uh, There was very little chance they'd make it back, Uh, but he was decorated as a true hero, and it was so interesting. I talked to him myself on uh, different occasions, on Veterans Day or on Memorial Day and other things. I asked him about it, about that, and he said, look, I was just doing my job. They taught me how to be a pilot. I was just being a pilot, the best pilot I could be. And that's the way he went through life. In this story today, you're going to hear about a man named Caleb who was sent to spy out the promised land along with 11 others. Uh, He and one of the other spies, Joshua, came back with a good report. Ten spies came back with a negative one. Turned the whole country against, the whole nation of Israel at that time, against God. The negative report did. But Caleb remained strong. He stood his ground. He was just doing his job. And today, by the time you leave, I hope you're greatly encouraged that God honors faithfulness. And he's constantly looking for people who will just be faithful. And just stand on the promises God has given us. I hope you're ready for some good encouragement today. I've been waiting seven weeks to give this, so this is good. Let's have a word of prayer and jump right in. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to study your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. I thank you that I got to know a guy like Bill Lolly. And Lord, he just said, I don't, he didn't regard himself as a hero. He just regarded himself as somebody who just did his job. But Lord, I'm glad he was decorated because he did his job with all that he had. And Father, I just want us to live out our convictions with all that we have. And count on you for the strength. I pray that people leave here today encouraged. Even if we face a tough decision, even if we know that the road ahead seems rough, I pray that we will not give up and not be discouraged and not give in to fear. I pray these things. I pray that you'll move me out of the way and say whatever you want said to us. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen. In your outlines, you'll find an out, in your bulletin, you'll find an outline with all this there. Um, point one simply says this, through a series of mighty miracles, God rescued the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt and guided them to the promised land. If you're unfamiliar with the story, the Israelites had been in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years. The land of Israel, pretty much where Israel is today, had been promised to Abraham, um, but his descendants 
had gone down to avoid a famine, had gone down to Egypt, and they stayed there for a long time, many generations. And during that time, they had uh, been made into slaves by the Egyptian pharaohs who forgot all about uh, any promises God had ever made to his people and that they would ever leave. And so Moses reflected back on this. This is Deuteronomy 26. When the Egyptians oppressed and humiliated us by making us their slaves, we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. And he heard our cries and he saw our hardship, our toil, our oppression. And so the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and with a powerful arm, with overwhelming terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. And that's what the promised land was, the land of Israel, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, what were these acts of terror and miraculous signs and wonders? Well, there were ten plagues that, were, that God sent upon Pharaoh and upon the Egyptian government because they wouldn't let the people go, even though God had commanded them to do so. He, sent, he turned the Nile to blood. He sent the whole country was covered with frogs and gnats and flies and uh, and everybody broke out in boils, and there was hail and lightning, and their livestock died. There was three days of total darkness. The land was destroyed. All the crops were eaten by locusts. And finally, the firstborn in every household died. All these things happened in succession, just as God had said. And by the time all these plagues had happened, Pharaoh and the leaders of Israel, all the, I mean, uh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh and the people of Egypt, all the leaders, they just told the people, get out, don't come back. And the people showered them with gold and jewelry and everything they had, just said, please leave. Well, a few days later, after they had left, they realized, oh my goodness, we let these people take all of our good stuff and our slave labor force is gone. We're in ruins. And they chased after him in chariots. But God led his people through the Red Sea, parted the waters. They were safely on the other side. When Pharaoh and the Egyptian army came with their chariots, they drove down in the middle and the water closed over them and the whole army was destroyed. The Israelites were rejoicing on the other side. Their God had enriched them, set them free, destroyed any army that would chase the mightiest army in the world at the time. Then as they went on toward the promised land, God provided them water in the desert, gave them food from heaven. Manna would come down every morning from heaven. Miraculous food to eat. He gave them the Ten Commandments, spoke to them in a voice from the top of Mount Sinai and told them what he expected of them. He sent a pillar of cloud that would go ahead of them by day and it would be a pillar of fire at night so they wouldn't even have to be afraid of the dark. And they got all the way to the edge of the promised land because God was guiding them. There's a life application for you and me in this. God is almighty. There's no problem too big for him to handle. He's almighty. Almighty means he is almighty. That's what it means. In fact, the most succinct statement of this in the Bible is in Luke Luke 1.37, where Gabriel is speaking to Mary, and he's telling her that she's going to have a baby. And she said, well, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And he tells her this, Nothing is impossible with God. Would you say that with me, please? Nothing is impossible with God. One more time. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, this is what the Israelites had to have believed. I mean, when the locusts came on the Egyptians, it went all through Egypt except the place where the Israelites were. When there was darkness in the land, it was everywhere except where the Israelites were. When the firstborn died in the Egyptians' house, they didn't die in the Israeli households because they had placed blood on the doorposts, the blood of a lamb, and the angel of death passed over them. God had provided them with everything they needed and guided them all the way to the promised land. 
because nothing was impossible for him. So you'd think when they got to the promised land, they just went right on in. There were people living there, and they would have to conquer them, and God had told them this, but he said he would be with them. But here's what happened, point two. In spite of all the things they'd seen, in spite of all the miracles they'd experienced, when the Israelites reached the border of the promised land, they were afraid to go in. What? No, it's true, and this is why you'll see Caleb stands out in just a second. There had been 12 spies sent into the land. When they got to the border of the promised land, God told Moses, have one, there were 12 tribes, have a leader from each of the 12 tribes appointed to go and spy out the land. And then you'll know where you should go and you can make battle plans and all those things. And so that's what they did. And here's what happened. This is Numbers 13 when the spies came back. The spies cut down a big branch with a single, uh, branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. That is a big cluster of grapes. That's a lot of grapes. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned, and this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. So there was no doubt. Land flowing with milk and honey, it's as good as advertised. It's, it's great. But the people living there were powerful, and their towns were large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. We'll get to that in a minute. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. I mean, God wiped out the whole Egyptian army. He can handle any of these. That was a much stronger force and a much more organized army than any of these places. I mean, we can do this. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people, all the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, descendants of Anak. And next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what others thought too. And so what happens was 10 of the 12 spies came back with this horrible report. Oh, we can't go in there. Yeah, I mean, it's got big clusters of grapes because the people all eat a lot. And they're all huge. There's an important note here, the descendants of Anak were physically huge people. This was a race of people who descended from a guy named Anak, and so they were the descendants of Anak, okay? And his name just means long neck. You wonder what that looked like, but I don't want to go there. Anyway, Goliath was most likely a descendant of Anak, and we find that in Joshua 11, where after they finally did eventually conquer the land, there were a few stubborn pockets of these descendants of Anak that held on, um, when Joshua, at the end of Joshua's life, and some of those were around Gath, where Goliath came from. And Goliath was over nine feet tall. So there were some big people, and these were huge people, freakishly huge. <laughs> okay? And uh, the spies said, oh, this is what we saw. Now, if you flip your outline over, there's a life application for you and me here. Our tongues can do enormous damage when we spread fear, rumors, and lies. Our tongues can. Well, what kind of rumors and lies? Well, here were the rumors and lies at first, you remember, it said, we explored the land, there were fortified cities, and we even saw some of the, Anak, some of the descendants of Anak there. Well, there were pockets of these groups with these large people, but the rest of it, I mean, I didn't have a chance to put all of Numbers 13 in here. Here is verse 29. Uh, I didn't include this in your outline. As a part of the report, they said, after they talked about the descendants of Anak, they said, the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and in the Jordan Valley. So by the time they talked to all the people, though, the only people that lived there were all these descendants of Anak, the whole place. 
They're all huge and the land devours everybody. Well, if that was true, then how'd the spies ever get back? And if this was all so incredibly difficult, well, then how did God deliver them from Egypt, which was the most powerful, which was the superpower of the day? And so their tongues did incredible damage. And they turned the hearts of the people away from trusting God and putting their confidence in their own strength. And that made them fearful and afraid. In James 3, this is the message translation, we find out what our tongues can do. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of our mouth, out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony into chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. You go, wow, that says that in the Bible? Yeah, in some translation it says the tongue is a spark set on fire by hell itself. Our tongues can do incredible damage. We can go and tell everybody, oh, it's horrible, it's impossible, can't be done. And people who were encouraged before are now fearful and afraid. We can make up rumors and lies about people and say, everybody thinks this way. Well, who do you mean by everybody? Well, me and my two friends. And some of us have been victims of this, and sometimes we've done it ourselves. And we've had people say things about us and go, where did you get that idea? Well, so-and-so said, and then so-and-so said, and all of a sudden now a reputation is badly damaged or a friendship is ruined. And we need to be very careful what we say because these ten spies turned a whole nation against God with the words of their mouth. And there's a life application for us. We need to watch out for what we say with our tongues. Everybody understand what I'm saying here? Oh, yeah. Well, the Israelites were so afraid, they decided to go back to slavery rather than trust God. I mean, even though Joshua was standing up saying, I mean, Caleb was standing up going, oh, please don't go back. No, no, God will give it to us. It's not what they're saying. Don't be so afraid. They decided to go around. Here's what, turn around and go back. Then the whole community, Numbers 14, the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Oh, if only we died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us into this country only have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? And then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It's a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. If you'd underline, the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them, but the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. So now not only were they giving a truthful and honest report, but the people didn't want to hear it. Can you imagine living in a country where people didn't want to trust God's word and God's promises anymore, and they'd say it's too difficult to obey God, we've got to turn around and go do the wrong thing? Oh, I guess I'm the only one who can. Okay, I, I thought that related to us. That does relate to us. You know, there are people all over the place who would decide to go back to slavery rather than trust God. I meet, this, I meet people like this all the time. They'll be coming to my office. They've been dealing with an addiction. Maybe they've lost their job or their spouse and their kids have decided it's time for an intervention type of meeting. Or maybe, I don't know, they've just had some horrible consequence 
And now they have to come face to face with, the, with an addiction. And I was, I'll talk to them and I'll say, you know, God will help you do this, but you're going to have to go through some kind of rehab. There are Christian programs here. We can help you. We'll pray with you. God will give you the strength to overcome this. But you have to turn away from it. And you have to trust that God will see you through it. And there's this moment there where they can make a decision. And I wish I could tell you every single person goes, oh, I'll trust God. We'll overcome this. And then I'll have the life I've always wanted. A land flowing with milk and honey. I'm free of this. I don't have to deal with this anymore. But all too often, people will turn back to the addiction, even though they're enslaved to it. And it's ruining them. Because they trust the addiction more than they trust God's help. And it's not just addictions. It could happen in a marriage. A couple comes to me. They've been married 15 years, 20 years. They have all kinds. They've got a boatload full of back issues that were unresolved. Rotten words. Uh, mean things done, careless actions, lack of love, distractions. Nobody's been investing in a relationship for years. And they're just now at the place where, hey, what do we do? Because they've grown bitter and angry toward each other. They go, well, if you go toward God here, and with God's help, you can learn to love and forgive and find a new life. But you're going to have to get counseling. You're going to have to go forward. There's some giant problems here, but God's stronger because nothing's impossible with God. And they have a decision to make. Are we going to go forward and trust God? Or are we going to go back to bitterness and anger? Because that's what we've been doing for the last 10 years. And we're used to that. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about here? Yeah, this story relates to us. In our culture now, there are people saying, you can't trust the Bible anymore. Yeah, these promises, people used to trust those things. But times have changed, John. We don't believe the Bible anymore. You can't trust God now. It's too difficult. We've got to let people stay in the sin where they were. You can't tell people to repent from sin anymore. Let them stay in bondage. This story is all about people like Joshua and Caleb saying, No, my friends. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. There's forgiveness of sins for all who come to him. Repent of your sin. Come to him. He'll give you a new life. That's too difficult. Let's go back where we were. And over and over again, we find this story played out. And one of the reasons that Joshua and Caleb were single, singled out as heroes, that Caleb was uh, venerated so much, is because these were conspicuous acts of bravery to say no. And even if it means you're going to stone me, I'm not going to change my mind. You know, God's looking for people like that, for you and me to be like that, because nothing's impossible for him. We said that before, nothing is impossible with God. Would you say it with me again? Nothing is impossible with God. Well, because of their unbelief, an entire generation of Israelites miss out on God's blessing. When they talked about stoning Joshua and Caleb, the presence of the Lord appeared at the tabernacle, their portable temple over there, and uh, God spoke to Moses and he said, tell the people this, not one of these people will ever enter that land They've all seen my glorious presence, the miraculous signs I perform both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they've tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. You said your children would be carried off as plunder. Well, I'll bring them safely into the land and they will enjoy what you have despised. But as for you, you'll drop dead in this wilderness, suffering the consequences of your sins. So turn around, go right back into the wilderness. The spies were in the promised land for 40 days, so you're going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until everybody over the age of 20 is dead. And then those children that you were so worried about will march in under my banner, trusting in me, and they will have the blessing you denied. 
And the 10 spies who gave the evil report, by the way, were struck with a plague and died on the spot. That put a damper on the day. And then people said, oh, hey, we're going to go in now. We, sorry, God, we were just kidding. We'll go now. And then a few of them tried, and they got the heck beat out of them. And they had to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. Until everybody over the age of the 20, except for Joshua and Caleb, had died. Three life applications out of this. First of all, we must never forget all that God has done for us. Listen to Psalm 78.10. It's talking about this exact point in history when they got to the promised land and wouldn't go in. They didn't keep God's covenant and refused to live by his instructions. They forgot what he had done, the great wonders he had shown them. This can happen in your life and in my life too. We can give up on God so quickly. I mean, we have prayed for a job and God gave us the job of our dreams. We prayed for children. He blessed us with children. We prayed that God would help us love our children even though they drove us nuts and, he gave, and, he, and we loved them even though they drove us nuts. Okay, he, we, we prayed for things over and over again, for the right house, for a friend who was sick, for opportunities to share our faith. We prayed for all these things and God answered them again and again and again. And some of us have whole notebooks filled with answered prayers. And yet... A new problem will come on the, on the scene, a relationship problem or a money problem or a health problem, and we'll just go, oh, I don't know where God is. And we're so quick to give up on him. And the story of Caleb reminds us that Caleb was standing in front of the people going, my friends, the Egyptian army drowned in front of us. We saw the water come over the top of them. We saw the hail and lightning Strike the Egyptians and not strike us. We received all the gold and jewels they could heave at us when they wanted us to go. We drank from water in the middle of the desert that God provided miraculously. We've been eating manna that God's own hand provided. Why would we doubt him now? And Joshua just said, I'm sold out. I am unswerving. This is the way I'm going. I believe he's been too good to me in the past. I'm not going to give up on him now. And if this morning you are struggling with an unanswered prayer, if this morning you're ready to give up on God, let me remind us again how good God's been to us in the past, and that's why we go through these stories again. Don't give up. Persevere. Remember what God has already done for you. Another life application, following Jesus does not mean we will never face huge challenges or troubles. There's a misunderstanding about this among many people. Um, during the sabbatical, I had a chance to be in Colorado at a prayer retreat. There were people from all over the country at this retreat. I was having breakfast with some of them there. I had a lot of time to pray and just be by myself. I did not go in any capacity as a pastor. I was on sabbatical, so all these things. And so I was just a part of the group and other things. And, but we were at breakfast one morning, and there were some people who were at this prayer uh, retreat. And they had, um, one of the people said, well, you know, I'm going through some hard times in my life. And you'd think that if I followed Jesus, I wouldn't be going through those hard times because, you know, um, that's just not what happens to Christians. And I pulled out my pastor identification card and said, excuse me, I've got to step in here. All right, <laughs> I'm off duty, but I can't let this go. Where did you get this idea that Christians never have hard times? And they said, well, that's the way it is. I mean, if God's our Heavenly Father, He wants His kids to always be happy, right? I go, well, I happen to have a Bible with me. May I read you John 16:33? Here's what it says. Jesus talking to his disciples, here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows. Many. Many. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. When he sent them out to make disciples, he said, I'll go with you. By the way, 11 of the 12 disciples 
were martyred, killed for their faith. Eleven of twelve. John was in exile in prison. The other one. The Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, was shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, left for dead, chased by wild animals because of his faith. And there is this myth going around, hey, if we ever have to have a challenge or we have to depend on God, if there's ever a big problem or a trial that we have to face, well, then God must not love us anymore. And that was what was going on here. And Caleb was going, what are you talking about? Caleb wasn't denying there were giants in the land. Yeah, there's some of them, but they're helpless because God is bigger. Nothing is impossible with God. Would you say that with me, please? Nothing is impossible with God. Mary had to believe that. Joshua had to believe that. Caleb had to believe that. I have to believe that. But following God doesn't mean I'll never have giant-sized problems to face. We'll have them, and God will show us how to deal with them. Doesn't mean God doesn't love us. He loves us very much. He brought them to the edge of the promised land. It was their choice whether or not they were going in and whether they were going to trust him. And that brings us to another life application. God wants us to trust and obey, not live in fear. Remember the old hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Does anybody remember that? Okay, some of you need to get on Google and find that. Anyway, um, there's no other way. Well, when do you need to trust and obey? When everything's going great? I'm having a hard time trusting God right now. I've been so blessed. It's just really hard to trust him. No, we have a hard time trusting and obeying when things are hard. Psalm 32, 8 and 9. I'll guide you along the best pathway for your life. I'll advise you and watch over you. Don't be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. This is God speaking to us, his people. I created you to be my children. Quit acting like a mule. There's another name for mule. I'll let you figure that out, okay? Don't act like that. We can be stubborn mules. Won't go in. Nope, not doing it. Not trusting you. And the Lord would say, why not? Have I not been good to you in the past? Oh, yeah, but you can't handle this. Yeah, you can handle the Egyptian superpower, but you can't handle these little cities. And Caleb is going, what? Why would we ever turn against him now? We're already here. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Paul is writing Timothy that Timothy is his disciple. And he's going, don't be ashamed of me when I suffer in prison for this. Don't be ashamed of that. And don't be afraid yourself. If you have to suffer, that's a good thing. Jesus suffered for us. Don't you be afraid. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. And my friends, if our culture turns against us and wants to stone us because we are standing for the truth of God's word, then let's stand strong together. Caleb stood strong on the promises of God. He just told the truth. Were there giants in the land? Yeah, he didn't sugarcoat that. But he goes, God's bigger. Let's trust and obey. Because nothing is impossible for God. Would you say that with me? Nothing is impossible for God. The people lost that, and we lose that. Oh yeah, he helped me with all those impossible things last year, but maybe he won't now. Caleb was a hero because he stood, even when everybody else turned against him except for Joshua. 
But Caleb was also a hero because he wasn't just faithful then, he was faithful his entire life. That's point three. Caleb remained faithful throughout his lifetime. Throughout his lifetime. The people of Israel had disobeyed God. They listened to the report of the spies other than Joshua, those other ten spies, and they they had to turn around. And Joshua and Caleb had to go with them for the next 40 years and watch everyone else die. And yet, Caleb and Joshua both remained faithful. Caleb was faithful the rest of his life. Now you think about that. He was promised an inheritance. When you get back here one day, there'll be land waiting for you because you were faithful. God promised him that. But he hung hung with that promise for 45 years. Today I'm 85 years old. This is Joshua 14. He was 40 years old when he spied out the land. They had to wander through the wilderness for 40 years. Then they fought about five years worth of battles before he got his inheritance. And so here was his speech when he finally got that inheritance. Today, I'm 85 years old. I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. Go AARP, right here, okay. And I can still travel, travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You'll remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns, those giants. But if the Lord is with me, I'll drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, and he gave Hebron to him as a portion of the land because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, previously, Hebron had been called Kiriath Arba, and it had been named after Arba, a great hero of the descendants of Anak. So I want you to understand what happened here. Caleb is now 85. He's had to hang to a promise, cling to a promise, for 45 years that he would one day inherit land. He's first. When all the land is distributed, Caleb gets to go first. Everybody pushes him to the front of the line. You get your inheritance first. Pick any place you want. He could have picked something next to the Sea of Galilee, have a little, little nice house there, go fishing, retire. He's 85. Ah, nothing doing. You know what part he wants? He wants the hill country where the giants live. We had to turn around 45 years ago because everybody was so afraid of the giants. So give me the hill country where the giants are. I'm 85, still got the guns in order here, okay? And with God's strength, we're going to go defeat them. Oh, and don't just give me the hill country where the giants are. Give me Kiriath Arba. That's the city named for the greatest hero of the giants. This was Anak's great-grandfather, maybe his father or grandfather, great-grandfather. He was the biggest hero of the giants. So give me the capital city. And that 85-year-old great-grandpa went in there and the Lord blessed him and he drove them all out and they renamed the town Hebron, which means unity. And now we can be unified under God. That's a hero. I'll stand for what's right even if everybody else tells me to go the other way. I will cling to a promise of God my entire life, and when I have a chance to take it easy or stand for God and prove to people that God is my witness and that God is strong in this, give me the hill country and throw in the capital city. Man, that guy's a hero. Here's a life application. God wants us to remain faithful like Caleb. Put your name in there. Don't put us. Put your name. I'm putting John in there. God wants John to remain faithful. But my servant Caleb, here's what God said about him. He has a different attitude than the others have. The others are willing to compromise. 
not Caleb. He's resolute, unhesitating. He has remained loyal to me, so I'll bring him into the land he explored with his descendants, and his descendants will possess their full share of the land. Second Chronicles 16.9 reminds us that the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Do you know if you have a challenge facing you today and you have a choice to stand on God's promises, to trust God in this or walk away, the Lord will strengthen you if you ask him for help? Do you know if you came here this morning, the Lord wanted you to be encouraged in that area? That's why we're reading his word together. That's what his word is for, is to give us strength and encouragement so we do the right thing. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to them, who honestly believe that nothing is impossible for God. Would you say that with me, please? Nothing is impossible for God. Oh, by the way, when I read stories like this about Caleb and Joshua and the promised land, people go, well, yeah, I mean, you can read all that, but it's all made up. I mean, none of that actually happened. I mean, there is no place like Kiriath Arba or Hebron. Where would you get that idea? Oh, Maybe the New York Times or the Jerusalem Post day before yesterday. Father killed, wife and two children in West Bank terror attack. A rabbi um, was killed on Route 60 in the South Hebron Hills. It's a real place in Israel today. Uh, it's about um, 15 kilometers, about nine miles down the road from Kiriath Arba in the West Bank where the Israelites are fighting with their enemies over the land. Okay, I'm, I'm not making this up. You can Google it. Google Kiriath Arba. It'll pull right up. Two days ago. This is not a made-up story. Caleb is a real person who trusts in a real God, who gives us real promises. And he promises to stand with us and strengthen us if we will trust and obey him. If you are being pushed to, to a, in an issue of moral compromise and you know the right thing to do, do not give in. Trust in the Lord and ask him for strength. Stand firm if no one else does. Because nothing is impossible with God. Would you say that with me one more time? Nothing is impossible with God. Let's pray. God, I just pray that we'll actually believe that. There are so many times in my life when I'm quick to trust in my own resources, my own strength, and I can become so fearful and afraid. Lord, if I allow myself, I can listen to terrible headline after terrible headline and bad news report after bad news report and believe everything's lost and that you can't do anything anymore. And as Christians, we're doomed. Our country's doomed. Our faith is doomed. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Lord, I thank you for stories of people like Joshua and Caleb. I thank you that Caleb was willing to stand up in front of his friends. And even if it meant being stoned to death, he's going to stand for the truth. And I thank you, Lord, he was faithful his whole life. And when he was 85, he was just as sure of the promises as he was when he was 40. Even though he had to suffer the consequences that the whole nation had to go through, it wasn't even his fault. If he suffered, then he'd be faithful through the suffering. And when he was blessed, he'd be faithful when that time came. God, I want to be like Caleb. I want to be found faithful, not compromising, not cowardly. No, God, I pray that you will remind us again and again that nothing's too hard for you. 
Forgive us for when we give up on you. Forgive us that we, are, we have such short memories. Forgive us that we forget all the good things you do for us. Oh God, you did not give us a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. No, God, I pray that you would give us the right thoughts and that we would stand strong. Give us a hunger for your word. Help us understand it and help us to trust and obey. If God has spoken to you today about something and you needed courage, then say, God, strengthen me. If you need courage today to do the right thing, say, God, strengthen me. And say it out loud. Say, God, strengthen me. Oh, God, strengthen us. There are challenges in front of each one of us. Help us not be afraid. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.